Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi guys, it's Hillary here. Just a quick note. This series does deal with a lot of tough subject matter that may be difficult for some listeners. So please keep this in mind when and where you choose to listen to these episodes. It's October 12th, 2013. Tony Griggs is just waking up for what should be a relaxing Saturday. He looks at his phone and sees several missed calls from his son, Christian. As the morning evolves, the day becomes a waking nightmare. Last episode, we learned who Christian Griggs was, how his relationship developed with Katie, and how everything changed his freshman year of college. On this episode, we'll dive a little deeper into Christian and Katie's relationship and hear from Dolly and Tony what they experienced the morning of October 12th, 2013. I'm Hillary Burton Morgan, and this is true crime story, it couldn't happen here. Hi guys, it's Hillary Burton Morgan here, back with our crew, Dan, Poe, and Andrew. You guys, when we left off in our previous episode, Christian had just gotten into a really big fight with his dad, Tony, and decided to move in with his girlfriend, Katie's family. So that was like right at the end of 2008. And in the beginning of 2009, Christian and Katie get married. Yeah, Pat Chisholm, he actually officiates and marries the two together. Yes, because Katie's father is a pastor. We also learned that Dolly and Tony didn't know that the wedding was even happening. They only found out when an invite showed up for their daughter, Crystal, but not for them. They invite Crystal, but not Christian's parents. And so what happened when they talked to Christian? According to Dolly, Christian expressed that he wanted them to go, but also expressed that there was tension with the Chisholm about their presence. And Dolly says that they decided they didn't want to be a distraction. They didn't want to take away from his joy. They didn't want his experience to be tense. So they chose not to go, which is extraordinary. This very family-oriented family to not attend their beloved son's wedding. So the wedding happens. What happens after that? 
well, Christian enlists in the army. And then in April 2009, he graduates from basic training. And that spring, Katie, Christian, and Jaden all move to a military base in Georgia where he receives more training. And then like a year later in August 2010, Christian is deployed to Iraq. And Katie and Jaden are essentially left alone, you know, living on or just off base in Georgia. Which is really hard. Now she's away from her community base. She's away from her parents. She's got a new baby. I mean, it's tough when you have a new baby at home. I can't only imagine what it was like for her there. And then he's off in harm's way overseas going through what he's going through. And he went through a lot. And Tony tells us just a heartbreaking story about Christian's time in Iraq that is worth listening to the whole thing. So let's go to that clip. Yeah, I was here one evening and the phone rang. Nothing good ever comes up three, four o'clock in the morning. It was the wee hours in the morning and the phone rang and I picked up the phone and it was Christian's voice on the other end. He said, Dad. I said, Christian. And the phone went out. He called back. He said, Dad. And before I could respond, the phone went out. Typically what happens when there's an incident like that, they go radio silence, meaning they shut off all communications going out. So he was in a blackout situation where he couldn't communicate. And that's what it came down to. But the next day or maybe 36 hours later, Christian called me and told me what had happened. He said, Dad, our convoy was out. And we were going along the route, and the vehicle in front of me was hit. I said, what do you mean, son, hit? He said, it was an IED. My next question was, knowing I was speaking to him, he was all right. Is everybody all right? He said, no, Dad. Some of my friends didn't make it. He said, I did what you told me, Dad. I got the guys together. We established a perimeter. We gave first aid. And I could hear those guys crawling for their mom. And at that time, I believe Christian grew up in a different kind of way. He began to see that this wasn't all Boy Scouts and camp and playing camping, that this business was real. And he matured so much more, so much faster at that point. Not always, everything's not always gonna be okay, I guess. Everything's not gonna always be okay. And you can always, you can do what's right and things don't always come out right. Oh. <sighs> Man, um, this is a difficult part of our show. It was Tony walking us through this emotional situation that they were in. I lost a dear friend in Iraq. I hate hearing this story. I hate it. I hate knowing what that young man had to live with because I know what it feels like to have lost my friend, but I didn't witness it. And so what Christian carried is dark and hard. And you can tell that his father understands the weight of that. Tony breaks, knowing what his son's going through, knowing what it's like. 
knowing how close his son was to death and that his son has just seen death. And so I hate how scary that was for Christian and for Tony. And it's not too long into his tour. I mean, he was in Iraq in 2010. This experience happened in April of 2011, you know? So he's not some seasoned veteran. He's a kid. And then in August of 2011, Christian's tour ends. So he moves back in with Katie and Jaden in Georgia. But it's clear that things are different now. He comes home to Georgia, but when he gets back, that's when things get a little tense. And he's dealing with some of the repercussions of his experiences overseas. I'm sure there is the chapter of joy there, right? Daddy's home. Mom has set up a house for him. We can finally be together as a family. I don't think it went dark quickly. No. I think they got through the holidays. You know, I mean, if he comes home in August, there's nothing on the books that anything bad happened in September. October's like Halloween, families go trick-or-treating, and then there's Thanksgiving, there's Christmas, and there's not really a problem until May 19th of the following year in 2012. There's a 911 report of Katie calling 911 saying that Christian's locked himself in the bedroom, he has a weapon, and he is threatening suicide. The police respond, and Christian comes out, and he is initially agitated, and the police talk to him, and he says, look, I wasn't intending to harm myself. I was just trying to scare my wife. But he does admit to being depressed after coming home from Iraq. It's incredibly scary as the spouse, the wife, the mother of your child, to have your husband ideating anything suicidal with a weapon out. I mean... And a three-year-old baby in the house. It must have been terrifying for Katie. I mean, we, we know she's been home. He's been in combat in a horrible war. And they don't have their family support around them. And he is admitting to being depressed. They're fighting. And it must be really, really scary for her. There's clearly a shift here. Things are falling apart in Christian's life in this time period. Katie's called the police on him for being suicidal. And we then learned that by July of 2012, his army career had come to an abrupt end when he's demoted two ranks to specialist and then ultimately discharged due to a marijuana test he failed before he ever even went into combat. Eventually, after Christian's death, they did update his discharge to honorable. But at the time this happens... Basically, he's out of a job. He's lost his friends and now he's lost his career and it looks like he's going to lose his family. Everything is falling apart for someone who, by all accounts, was on track to have this good life. And so we have to acknowledge that. To me, losing your job or quitting your job or being unemployed in this particular situation is probably the worst thing that could happen to most men in a traditional sense where we value traditional roles or where men feel it's necessary to be the provider. You take away that, you almost take away any self-respect. Right. And so we know he has a lot going on. And now by September, we know there's been some change. Christian and Katie, they're living apart. Katie's back in Andrew with her parents while Christian is still in Georgia. And over the course of just a couple days, Katie calls 911 on Christian two more times. 
And we know from the last call that the final 911 call is regarding a custody dispute between the two. So clearly things are continuing to deteriorate and quickly. And there's even an incident, there's not a police record, but there is an account of another time Christian was threatening suicide and he apparently had a gun and was in the backyard. And Pat Hall went and sat down with Christian and talked him down and sort of counseled him so they didn't feel the need to call the police at that point. They don't see a police record of that. It always seems to be him threatening harm against himself, not others. You know, there is no claim of domestic violence from Christian, but we do have to remember that when people try to leave, when women try to leave, that is when things escalate. Yes. So to be fair, historically and data-driven information tells us that for everybody, these are some of the most fraught times. Yes. Like separation, divorce, apparently is more traumatic, they gauge, than death. Well, and I wouldn't let my child go as someone who was expressing thoughts of self-harm. Right. You Me know, neither. that's a it's a dangerous thing to put your child in. So Katie's perspective isn't unrelatable. I absolutely can understand why she would be like, no, no, pump the brakes. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. I think what's really important about this episode is that these little tiny nuggets of information, you know, when you look at them closely, you're getting a picture painted of a young man who went from being, you know, on this ideal path to now having law enforcement called on him multiple times and by people who he loves. It changes someone's self-esteem. It changes their self-image. And as we are going to see in this case, it changes the way the community looks at him when this shooting occurs. And that's where I want to start moving toward now. You know, there's this period where following the 911 call incidents and the separation, Christian and Katie actually try to make things work. Yeah. Christian and Katie have split up and reconciled, I think, a couple of times. And it sounds like he came back up from Georgia and moved into a house with Katie on her family's property. 
and they were making a go of it. It was late 2012, early 2013, and that is when they decided to just move in as a family to the house next door to her parents to kind of chase after that American dream of the nuclear family. We're going to make it work. I mean, yeah, they're trying to make it work. You know, they moved into the house on the Chisholm Hall's property right next to Katie's dad, and Christian helps fix it up. And that goes on for about nine months till the end of the summer, 2012. But by then, you know, around the end of September, early October, they split up again. And he was going back to school and started attending classes again and was no longer living at the house. And I think Katie even has separation papers drawn up. And even though they're unsigned, the lawyer drafts a separation agreement granting primary custody of Jaden to Katie and allowing visitation from Christian every other weekend. And it also stipulates that Christian is to make monthly child support payments. That's right. And by October 8th, we know that they have one more fight. Apparently, Katie calls Christian. She needs help with her daughter, Jaden. And Christian's at school. And so it takes him a while to get down to the house. She called him while he was in class. And he finished class and then got right in his car and came down. And it says in our documents that when he arrived at the house, Katie told him he should have dropped everything and came there right away. And then she slammed the door in his face. So even though just before this, it seems like they are handling things the right way. You know, they're getting their separation papers. They're figuring out the custody issues. There are clearly still issues for these two that they're working through. And let's just be clear. It is a very complicated relationship. We've got an interracial couple in the South. We've got a daughter of a pastor who gets pregnant in high school and has a baby out of wedlock with her boyfriend. We eventually have a young marriage. We have custody issues. And we have a number of traumatic events that occur after Christian goes off and returns from war. So relationships are not easy to start with. But all of this, I mean, that is a lot facing these two young people. And so it's just days after the October 8th incident when Katie slammed the door in Christian's face after he came to help with Jaden. Everything starts to get more and more heated leading up to the events of October 12th on the front lawn of Pat Chisenhall's home. So let's now talk about that weekend and specifically the morning of October 12th. Tony and Dolly, they tell us about that morning. I mean, they weren't just bystanders to information. They're actually outside of Pat Chisholm's house when their son Christian is transported to the hospital. And Tony, he's been talking to Christian all morning. That's right. This was a unique situation in that the victim's parents really could walk us through the events of the morning as they unfolded. Right. And that's one of the things that's really different about this episode because they were there. We use Tony and Dolly as our through line because they are our reliable narrators. You know, usually we use like a lawyer or some other kind of official who walks us through the step-by-step of the case because they make it just really factual and clear. They are often somebody in a more official capacity just because storytelling-wise, you don't necessarily want to go to the person who was traumatized. They often don't know the details, but Tony was intimately involved in the blow-by-blow of the day of. He was first person on the scene. He was last person to see him alive other than Pat. So there are many factors where he plays a part in a story that often the loved ones left behind do not. And he's so clear. So we're just going to hear it from Tony and Dolly right now 
about what happened that weekend. On October the 11th, uh, Christian was on fall break at North Carolina State, and he was supposed to have Jaden that night. So that Friday, Christian came in the house, and we thought he would have Jaden with him, but he was alone. So my wife asked him, where's Jaden? We thought Jaden would be with you. He really didn't say anything, and he went upstairs. The next morning, Christian went back to the Chisholm Hall's house to get Jaden. I looked at my phone. It had to be about 9 o'clock in the morning. I had several missed calls. It was Christian. So I called him back. The line had a lot of static in it, and it cut. The Chisholm Hall's house is just a short distance from here, but the connectivity is poor. I jumped in my truck, and I drove over there. I pulled in behind Christian. I said, what's going on? He said, they're not here as usual. I'm here to pick up Jaden, and there's nobody here at the house. I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to hang out, and I'm going to wait for them to come back. And he asked me to go ahead and leave. So I left, as Christian asked me to do. But I wish I would have stayed. And as I walked in the door to my house, my phone rang again. It was Christian. This time he said, Dad, this guy's over here telling me to shut the F up. I said, Christian, who? He said, Pat. I drove over there. When I arrived at the house, it was quiet. It was serene. I thought something about this is not quite right. And as I walked across the yard and stepped up upon the steps, I saw the window closest to the door had been pushed in slightly at the top, kind of like a double-hung window where you would fold it down. I had reached out my right hand to ring the doorbell, and I looked to my immediate right, and there was Christian laying on the ground, face down. I did not know what had happened to him. I kneeled down by his side, and almost instantaneous, police cars began to come from everywhere. Harney County Sheriff Department. They jump out of their vehicles, weapons drawn, run up on the porch, see me, say, we, we've got a call, shots fired, there's been a shooting. And I say, it must be my son. They immediately pushed me off the porch. I then called my wife, Dolly, and I say, Christian's been shot. Dolly screams, and the phone goes dead. I just remember dropping the phone, and I told my daughter, Crystal, that Christian had been shot. And we just ran out the door. I didn't have my purse, I didn't have no shoes on. When we got there, the EMT was doing CPR on my son. And one of the deputies came off the porch and said they were going to take Christian to wait med. And I said, is he still alive? And he said, yes. And we get to the hospital. And eventually, the doctor comes in and says, he didn't make, he didn't make, The doctor says he didn't make it. I 
fell to the floor. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. They hadn't told us the magnitude of his injuries at that point. But one of the trauma nurses that was in the room said whatever happened, he was trying to get out of there. Oh, Dan, you're the person who had to walk Tony and Dolly through the retelling. Anytime that we're asking someone to do this, we're asking them to relive their trauma, and we can absolutely hear it here. I mean, it is sickening to listen to you going into that day. How do you steal yourself for that? How do you sit there as a grown man across from you is like crying? Yeah, I mean, it is hard with somebody with the obvious strength that Tony has. You know, he's a strong man who is very much sort of in control. And then to see that breakdown and to see him be overcome with emotion. And all you want to do is to comfort him. You know, you kind of want to stop and express sympathy, which, you know, you can't. You have to just let him talk and tell his story. And I think one of the big moments for me was when he says he goes to the house and talks to Christian and Christian's like, they're not here and I'm going to wait for them. And Tony was going to wait with him. Like, well, I will stay here with you, son. And Christian tells him to go home. Says, no, it'll make things worse. Just leave. And Tony leaving to go back to his own house and leaving Christian there, you could just see on Tony's face. He's like, I wish I hadn't done that. I just wish I'd stayed, that maybe Christian would still be alive. The guilt is so clear. It's in his voice, but his face, you can see the clouds coming over him when he says that. And his feeling of guilt and his knowing that that one small thing driving down the road for a minute could have changed everything had he not. I mean, I'm amazed that people can actually even tell these stories without falling apart. I mean, I couldn't do it. No. No. And, you know, Poe and I early on had a lot of conversations about how to give people space versus like predatory, like trying to get people to cry, you know? And in the world of documentary, you have two different people. You have people like Poe that are like, I'm going to let you sit in silence so that you can say all the things that you need to say because it's going to hurt. I've been on the other side of it. I have been interviewed about like hard, hard, uncomfortable things in my life. And I have felt that predatory energy where it's like, let's get her to cry. And so I never, ever wanted to put anyone else in that position. We butted heads. Well, yeah. Because you didn't understand what I was asking because you felt like it was Hillary wanted to do what we all do and reach out and tell them it's okay. And do try the comfort to, thing that Dan's talking about. And try to make it better. Hillary yeah. always wants to try to make it better. I have learned and I look like a fool, I'm sure, but I have a very expressive face and I show them what I'm feeling and my sympathy and my empathy as I'm listening to them and looking at them and letting them, but you have to let that silence, you have to let them process it and speak their truth. And so Hillary and I negotiating how she would interact and not do her automatic, take care. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're a great sister. You're a great, you know. Dad, it's not your fault. Like that kind of thing that's so instinctive to us to try to make it feel better. You have to just listen and hear and give them that space. And it took a while for you to trust in that process. Well, yeah. I mean, it is really difficult walking through the worst part of your life 
and doing it on camera and doing it with a whole bunch of strangers that you hope will honor your story in the edit. It's a vulnerability that is really hard to describe. And so I never wanted our show to be predatory in that way. The difference between like acting jobs I've done and the work that we do here is that I had been working in an environment where you watch people try to make themselves cry. It's their job, right? Or try to to make make someone else cry. Yeah, it's like you're trying to get an emotion. Here, watching Tony try not to fall apart, try not to cry, try to remain clear in the midst of, you know, obviously walking through something so dark. Sharing his trauma and living it, it was so raw and real with him. Yeah, we're asking them to go back to that moment, which is just the most horrific moment of their lives. And Dolly also, I mean, she presents in a very different way. She tends to speak a little faster and without taking breaths, you know, her tension and her emotion is in her chest. It weighs on it. So with Dolly, it was also like slowing her down a little bit because I think her way of dealing with the trauma was to sort of kind of get through it and go quicker, where Tony kind of slowed down a little bit. And it was interesting to talk to the both of them and see how they both kept their emotion, where they held their emotion, you know? We learned from Dolly during our time with them that she works in an ICU where you're dealing with high-stress situations all the time and you just have to compartmentalize your feelings and deal with them later. And so this makes sense. Also, Tony, where he was so strong in his vulnerability and he does break and it's just never doesn't bring me to tears but he also regroups like the bottom doesn't fall out he walks through it in that incredibly stoic but yet emotional way and then he regroups and he continues forth and it was something to witness it was really something to witness it's a step-by-step account that we don't normally get from family members Usually we get a bird's eye view and it's very like wide and I got a phone call that my loved one is dead or I showed up at the house and they were gone and Tony is walking us through step by step. I got a phone call. I went over there. I was there. I came home. I get another phone call. I get in my car. I get there. I put my arm out to ring the doorbell. You know, it's so step by step that we can walk it with him. And I cannot imagine the horror show of looking down and seeing my child face down on a front porch and then have law enforcement show up and draw guns on me as I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with my kid. You definitely can see it as he's walking us through his experience. He's seeing it in his head. I have no doubt he is visualizing every single frame that came into view as he's doing that. And we can see it with him because of the way he's telling his story. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Everything Tony's telling us, if you close your eyes, you can envision it. But we usually do help viewers a bit here. You know, we give them visuals on screen that can set them into Tony's perspective. And so, Andrew, I want to direct this line of questioning to you. We do recreations in order to help visually give the information that our audience is hearing. But this episode was a little bit different. Tony actually participated in the recreations that we were doing for this storytelling. Is this a rare circumstance that you have someone so closely connected to the death helping you with the recreation? Yes. You know, I was actually, this just sort of happened. We knew that we would have to do something of Christian traveling around in his car and the the back and forth of Tony between his house and Katie's house. And I'm just talking to Tony and he's like, oh yeah, I've got Christian's car still. Oh yeah, we've got all of his stuff still. He opens the garage door and there's the car. This family has clung on to all of Christian's belongings all these years, and they haven't let go or parted with any of them. And the one item that was of relevance was his actual vehicle with which he arrived at Katie's house that day. And that's incredibly unusual. So what happens? I mean, you say like, yes, we'd love to use the actual car that Christian drove, but then who drives it and where do you park it in order to film these things? Right. And something that I would never, ever ask of anybody who's the family member or the bereaved of a victim is, can you help us out? I ask him, I say, well, can we use the car? And he's like, sure. Can I help you out? And he's like, anything you want. And I said, well, we need to drive from here and there. He's, he's like, well, I'll do it all for you. So he was willing to actually participate and play the character basically of himself in our recreation. He really sort of actually drove around walking us through the events of the day that he did experience, you know, that he experienced himself. So it was really unusual for us to get that. And so it was Tony in his car driving around the neighborhood and then Christian's car in the driveway as if it was parked at the Chisholm Hall's house. Having physically retraced the steps with him for the listener at home, what is the proximity between these two houses, the one where Christian grew up and then the one where the Chisholm Halls are now? Two or three miles. Yeah. It doesn't take long to drive. Did that strike you that day as Tony was kind of guiding you? Of course it did. I mean, literally, Tony arrives at the Chisholm Hall house to find Christian laying on the porch within a minute or two of him being shot. 
I mean, he's there right before and he's there right after. I mean, these are parallel storytelling. And that's what's amazing about this particular episode is we literally have this blow by blow from different perspectives of the same exact tiny amount of time where life changed for everyone. How early in your interview with Tony and Dolly do you ask them to walk you through all of this super intense subject matter? Well, we tend to not jump right into that. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, I can't imagine a more awkward yeah. situation. It also destroys the rest of your interview yeah. if you do it too soon. Like you can't get nuts and bolts and facts and other things. Generally, we like to lead with, who's this person? What's your family like? How'd you end up here? Tell us about Christian. Tell us about you and Dolly. Tell us about your family. All of that stuff so that they're happy, so that you're involved in the good, beautiful parts of their life before tragedy strikes. Yeah, once you hit the tragedy, you can't often, go back. Yeah, often the interview is over. That's the tone. There is no anything but tragedy. Or aftermath of tragedy and investigation and things like that. But you can't get back to the life and the humanness of the victim and whoever else and whatever else happened before. Exactly. We talked quite a bit about a lot of things before we got to this story. And then we took a break after he told this story. You know, it's, okay, let's stop now for a little bit. You know, you have to stop at a certain point and take a break. Was there ever a version of this specific episode where we didn't lead with Tony and Dolly telling us their story? Sure, but none of those other versions felt right. Tony and Dolly's storytelling was just so powerful. For me, it's one of the surprises of filmmaking. Essentially, who would have thought that Tony would be such a great storyteller? And the part of the story that he's telling perfectly matches with the 911 audio, which became extremely important to starting the show. That's not something you actually plan. It's something you discover. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So we will be diving into those 911 calls later. And what you guys haven't heard yet is this kind of overlap of what's happening at the Chisholm Hall's house with Tony arriving to find his son. And you don't just discover it in the field. You then discover it in the edit. And that's why with documentary, the real writing the story comes in the edit room. We can know what we're looking for and things we need to hit. We go in the field, we discover more, we get more than we need. We don't know exactly how the different pieces are going to fit together. So we just get a fast amount. But, you know, I always start thinking editorially in the field. I can't help it. And then when you get in the edit, you have an idea. And then often you mix it up and scramble it around three or four times and you figure out where it's supposed to be. So at the end of going through all of this with Tony, what is his demeanor? Yeah, he was somber. I mean, he was definitely wanting to help tell this story and was very happy to do it. But afterwards, when we stopped and we were talking, you could just see it on his face. Reliving that day was hard. I mean, you could just tell he was definitely feeling somber. Mm -hmm. Tony is so deep. Yeah. I mean, you just, you can see what's happening with him and he's just so deep and so stoic at the same time, but you can see his emotion. He uh, parted ways with me with a cigar. He did? Yeah. I can't imagine, like... You know, when we pack up all of our stuff, we leave and we go home and we start prepping for the next day. But then Tony and Dolly sit down, having just walked through the worst day of their life. And I can't imagine that feeling. You know, I know how heavy it feels for us. I can't imagine how heavy it is for them retracing those steps. And maybe he's done it a million times in the last 10 years. He's certainly done it in his mind. I mean, he's haunted by having listened to Christian and gone home. He said it and you could feel it like to your core. 
He's gone over that morning every day, I would imagine. That's it for this week's episode of True Crime Story. It couldn't happen here. But be sure to join us next week as we dive deeper into the Christian Griggs case. Hornet County, 911. Your name? Pat Susan Hall. Tell me exactly what happened, sir. I just called moments ago. My wife, my daughter's state husband was threatening. And I was trying to get in the door. He, he busted in the window, was coming in the window, attacking me. I shot him. You shot somebody? Join us next week as we continue to roll up our sleeves and dig in. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't watched Sundance TV's true crime story, It Couldn't Happen Here, you can catch all of our episodes streaming on AMC+. For more information about this and other cases we've covered, follow at Stories on Instagram. True Crime Story It Couldn't Happen Here was produced by Mischief Farm in association with Bungalow Media and Entertainment, Authentic Management Productions, and Figdonia in partnership with Sundance TV. Executive producers are me, Hillary Burton Morgan, Liz DeCessory, Robert Friedman, Mike Powers, and Meg Mortimer. Producers are Maggie Robinson-Katz and Libby Siegel. Our audio engineer is Brendan Dalton with original music by Philip Ridiotis. We want to say a special thank you to everyone who participated, but especially the families impacted by our cases. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.